welcome, um, everybody. I hope you have your seatbelts because tonight is going to potentially get a bit rowdy. Um, as always, joined by Andrew and Phil. I'm not sure, guys, how, how stressful or aggravated has your afternoon been today? Uh, I don't know. We we normally start off these podcasts talking about the weather and rather inane stuff like that. But you know what? I'm fucking incensed. This is ridiculous. Why? How on earth has Owen Farrell got away with this? Like I, I know everyone everyone agrees except for the three Aussie commissioners, but like uh, this is pretty fresh news. So I'm I'm a little bit reactive, but. I feel like we should just get straight into this because this is just absolutely ridiculous. Rowan Farrell goes high with his shoulder, not wrapping, and they've come up with some excuse to let the soak off the hook again. Like this whole bullshit argument of he's never had a red card. Like he's been banned how many times? He's been to tackle school. He's got like the diploma, the degree. What the hell is happening? Why is he playing the opening games of the World Cup? Sorry, I had to get that out. <laughs> that, that was exactly the strong stuff you're hoping for. Phil, as our resident English um, uh, component, do you want to land a counter voice to that strong rant? Are you sitting happily at home, very glad that you have your staff life available for the opening matches? I, I don't really want to counter it. I, I, I pretty much agree with Andrew's take. Um, it's pretty outrageous. If I'm being honest, when I... When I posted on the group this afternoon, I took a second because I thought, wait, this isn't real. This was like obviously just someone trying to, you know, um, get people enraged as it has clearly done. Um, and I, I thought there's no way, surely there's no way he's got enough. Like, of course, that was a small possibility, but I agree. It's ridiculous. Um, I tried to keep anger to a minimum because I think even though it sort of does benefit England, having, a, you know, the captain slash fly half or center available it still just sort of um undermines the game and the way that they've been trying to make the game safer and trying to put their foot down on this sort of um behavior so it's i think for me it's more like disheartening and frustrating more than anything else and it's yeah it's i don't know and how incensed are you very i think to put it very briefly um yeah, there's a lot of components to this. I mean, there's obviously the aspect that, you know, a serial offender that, oh, I mean, years. I mean, he got his first ban back in 2016, I think. Um, you know, and he's continued to have this issue and literally every single time it's been mitigated down or it's been found not to be an issue. And that's, as Andrew said, is how he somehow doesn't have any red cards for this. You know, so he keeps managing to fall back on his good behavior record. Um, but it's, you know, so, you, so you can look at that aspect. Then you can look at the like just fast of the sighting process in general. And we've been like, outspoken of this as with many other commentators. It's like, you know, it's very much a thumb sucky process. There's very little consistency um, between, you know, very similar or quite wildly disparate events. You know, the standard joke is, you know, six weeks down to three because. Um, so there's that aspect of it. Then you've got the whole bunker system that's just been thrown completely under the bus and just being like, yeah, well, you know, he had 10 minutes, but it's hard. So he just got it completely wrong. So fuck him. You know? So that's, you know, really nice support of the reps that they're giving out there. Um, I'm sure they won't get banned from going to matching for six months though. Um, and then you've just got the general world rugby's obvious lack of, um, maybe we should just distance. This is not world rugby. This is three Australians. 
um, their disrespect or just complete uh, like uncaring for the global fight against head contact and injuries. So all of which is very, very, very frustrating. Um, and it's annoying that Owen Farrell gets to carry on playing rugby as a very minor point in all of that. Um, I mean, it's, it's, I'm not sure if you want to touch on any of those. This is going to be a very unstructured discussion. I think it's going to be fairly <laughs> cathartic. I think, uh, Andrew, I mean, you spent a good chunk of this afternoon voicing <laughs> your, your opinions in, in the guise of Owen's foul shoulder. <laughs> yeah. We can save some of those, those as, a, as a lightener at the end. Um, um, I just, you guys are using very toned down language. Like, I just feel like it makes, <laughs> it makes like a complete mockery of like everything that you've just said, like the whole processes of the, the giving the, the TV, I wanted to say the TV umpire, it's my cricket bias coming through the, th- the, the, um, the ref in front of the screen. Uh, I'm so angry. Yeah, I'm, I'm losing my English. Call, call it the bunker. Call it the bunker. Yeah. The bunker. I, mean, I can confirm Andrew is literally gripping his face in frustration. We, we need to start recording video and putting this out on what, what are the kids using TikTok or whatever it is. Um, yeah, like it makes a mockery of it. Like that whole system, as you said, it, they've thrown the guys under the bus. Like the whole point of that is that there are, there's time given for people to deliberate. They make a, they make a decision and now they get undermined by the citing commission around some, some, I mean, it's not even borderline that Jamie George pushed him into the player. Like he he touched the player. There was no discernible change of direction or speed or or anything. And then, you know, suddenly, suddenly now it just absolves him of all blame for being high, not using his arms and putting his shoulder into the oak's chin like that. And the guy's a concussed. He probably lost his World Cup place because he can't play the world, the warm-up games. And then, and then the whole approach of you know reducing head injuries reducing early onset dementia which will drag be facing a court case or five about like and and then you let the guy the guy who's the world's worst tackler just off the hook like no um i mean that, that's the most fundamental point for me is it's like whether he changed direction or not is really irrelevant yeah like you can see Farrell, when Basham's still a good two meters away, he's already got his shoulder like shoulder forward, arm cocked, and he's ready to drive up into his head. Yeah. Like whether he changed direction or not, his body position is completely inappropriate for what they've been tackling. Like like teaching, he's not bent at the waist. Fundamentally, he's cocked to go with his shoulder. There's no attempt to wrap. Like, how can any of that be described as a legal approach? You know. Now, if he was bent at the waist, the whole point about change of direction is if you're bent at the waist and then the, tack, the, the ball carrier falls into your head, then maybe there's some mitigation. Like, he didn't. He yeah. was always aiming at the head. The guy's, the guy's been to tackle school how many times to reduce his, his measly bands, and he still can't get it right. Like, at the point, there's got to be, there's got to be, you got to put your foot down eventually. If a guy's a serial offender four or five times, he hasn't got a red card, but who gives a shit? Like, that just means the refs are scared to give him a red card on the field. Well, he's got, like, 12 weeks in combined bands. Exactly. So it's not like he hasn't he's received disciplinary sightings for this. Exactly. That, I mean, the red card argument is irrelevant. Some some diehard English fans are bringing that up, but that's complete bullshit. Yeah, um, that's not a part of it, right? But No, no, it can't be. I mean, he's, he's basically been given post-hoc red cards through his bands. I mean, they've said it met, met red card offense thresholds. So... It's complete rubbish that he's got off the hook here. Like this is a this is a plain straight up and down red card. 
it doesn't matter that it's just before the World Cup. Like you've got to apply the rules, and the rules haven't yeah. been applied. And he 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 seems. I mean, the reason we'd be angry about this if we if it was a South African because South Africans seem to get the brunt of it, as do tier two nations. Somehow, just don't get a fair rub. But he he is like above everyone. He is the exception to the rule. Like they. Well, they, I, don't, I don't know how much I'd say that. I mean, if you look at look at all the sightings heading into this World Cup, you know, you had Ferguson who hit someone in the head three weeks. Convenient, managed to, he's available for the the start of the World Cup. Yeah, you've got Sexton who, <laughs> you know, was basically following and threatening referees who managed to conveniently make the start of the World Cup. And you know, they even bent the rules to allow him to play warm up games behind closed doors, which is nonsense. But then on the other hand, as you say, you've got George Moala playing for Fiji, I mean, for Tonga, never got a red card in his career. Does a, you know, fairly routine spear tackle. The guy lands on his back. It's not head contact into the floor. And he gets 10 weeks. I mean, when was the last time you saw a 10-week ban? That sounds ridiculous, yeah. I, I genuinely can't remember the last time someone actually got 10 weeks. I mean, there was maybe one or two 12 weeks mitigated down to six. But I can't think of a last player that actually was bad for two, 10 games. I mean, it's it's insane. Uh, yeah, yeah. there's like a Piwe Janji for steroids. <laughs> yeah, but, but that's, a, that's a completely different thing. That's, yeah. you know, that's not foul play. I mean, at least, to, at least with Ferguson and even Sexton to some extent, I mean, obviously that one's way different, but at least those guys still got a ban and they got like their punishment is... At, like this one they're saying doesn't even reach the red card threshold which is ridiculous so he's not even having that red card on his record not not that that matters as we've really seen but like they're pretty much saying he wasn't yeah what he did wasn't bad enough to receive a red card on the day and that just makes no sense yeah anyway um those who would like some light relief around this subject uh ben one of the podcast ogs and i started a Twitter account called Owen Farrell Owen Farrell's shoulder um when he hit Andre Esterhaz and, and wasn't wasn't charged and we were angry enough to make a Twitter account a parody Twitter account about it. So I reinvigorated that today and fired off about 40 tweets to different conversations and um hopefully did a good job of at least throwing some light on the situation because it does feel like the entire rugby world is against this decision and world rugby apparently has the rights to appeal it. If I understand right, so you've got you've got yeah. to think that they will, given the backlash now about how hypocritical their stance on head injuries is. I mean, they they have to. If if there's this much outrage from literally every single commentator, and that's including the most ardent oh, "let the boys play" commentators like Stuart Barnes, Jamie Beardmore, egg chasers like Andy Good. You know, Andy Good, who was like complaining that Josh Adams was play acting after he had on his head after the Freddie Stewart incident. Like, even he's saying this is the most blatant um, <laughs> disrespect of, you know, head injuries and most blatant red cards. It's like everyone is saying this. If World Rugby don't act, then it, I mean, it's, it surely just shows that they have absolutely zero interest in their own sport. I mean, that, that can be the only conclusion. Yeah, I mean, going forward, it, it feels like they have to act. Otherwise, in the World Cup or in the next couple of weeks before the World Cup, we're probably going to see a couple of similar incidents. And if they're going to take this as a precedent going forward, then people are going to get HIAs and people aren't going to get red cards. And it's going to take away all of what I would consider you know, positive work in terms of trying to make the game a bit safer. So, To be honest, though, like, I don't know if it does set a precedent. I mean, disciplinary commissions have been so inconsistent 
Yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, I'm fully could I ex- understand that on wet on Saturday, Jane Hendrickson puts his shoulder to someone's head and they give him six weeks. Like that wouldn't surprise me that they suddenly just go back to normality. And then someone else the week after in the next warm-up game, you know, Shannon Frizzell heads about someone and they're like, oh yeah, but it's, it's mitigated because he was a woman. So we don't look at that incident, you know, like yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if, if some, you know, if he had butts fuck and they're like, oh no, but he's got long blonde hair. So we don't look at those incidents. Um, but, but, but that's why I think world rugby needs to step in and maybe even going forward, like just being able to create some more consistency in terms of the, um, panels like whatever these disciplinary power panels like andrew said the or if he did say it like these three australians were the ones who uh, made that final decision and generally we've sort of seen that super rugby has slightly more lenient sort of handling of these sort of situations and i don't know if that came into it at all but they need to like normalize it a bit better especially going into a world cup it's just like like you said it's going to be a, a disaster if from one game to the next, we see completely different outcomes on very similar incidents. It, it did feel very strange having three guys from the same country. I mean, you, most matches, you know, they'll try and have quite a diverse refereeing panel, um, you know, kind of uh, represented from each nation. So it, it was very weird that the judicial panel was all from one country. And I think, I mean, the whole judicial panel thing in general confuses me. I feel like it can't be that much work that you need to have a 50-man panel to deliberate on like three incidences a week. Like, I don't know, you know, there, there's all these protocols and boxes. It's literally a checkbox exercise. You go down the list and be like, did this happen? Yes, yes, no. Minus a week, plus a week, there's your answer. Why does it take, you know, three lawyers, six hours to come up with this? And why do you need a team of 20 of them to be able to do this? You know, I feel like it could be surely very streamlined and simplified. Yeah. Anyway, back to the original point. It's been a wonderful high felt winter's day today. Twenty-five <laughs> degrees, um, clear skies. Uh, sorry, Ant, I've completely upset your agenda, but I felt I had to get that off my chest. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think there was. We were going in as much of agenda. I think we needed to touch on the, the hot topics as they were hot. Um, so that's perfectly fair. But what wasn't hot was Cape Town today. The wind's been absolutely freezing. I don't know if Phil, you were slightly more protected your side or in the office yeah i was in town so uh just you know my lunch break taking a walk to go get a bagel i felt the wind it was yeah it was pretty cold uh you know it wasn't it's not the heart of winter anymore but so uh i i had a good lunch and other than the bad news of the day in terms of you know this upsetting news um yeah i'm pretty good thanks that's that's very good um Speaking of, of things and people that don't appreciate wind, that, that was going to be the opening segment was just talking about flops in general. That was obviously <laughs> accelerated with the Farrell um, news because the whole tee-up was going to be that you know half of the top nations don't have access to flops. Springboks are missing Pollard. Um, Sexton's going in undercooked. Well, it was the interior meant to be going in undercooked. Intermax torn his ACL, so he was out. Farrell was going to be banned for five weeks because obviously that was a ridiculous tackle attempt. Um, and then the Aussies have just decided to just throw out all of their experience at playoffs. So, you know, suddenly you're going to the World Cup and you're looking at nations like New Zealand, obviously, but, you know, teams like Italy is having, you know, kind of the star flash in the tournament. Um, what is going on with 10 selections and why are they falling like flies? Oh, I don't know. Uh, Richie Mong, uh <laughs> is looking like the best fly off in the competition, probably followed by Finn Russell, 
And then it's a big fall off from there. I mean, you, you mentioned on the WhatsApp group, even Christian Lefano's getting in there for, well, he might be the most internationally experienced fly half at the comp. I don't know. <laughs> he played a whole lot of tests <laughs> for the Wallabies. So uh, it's ridiculous. Like uh, everyone's, everyone's in trouble in arguably the most important position on the field. Um, yeah, Bonavala was dropped it for Fiji, so he's on their squad. Big has been riding because they've been playing off the bench for Wales. Yeah, um, yeah, it's just very, very confusing what's yeah. happening at, in the ten jersey at the moment. I think the French have probably been the worst off here, um, losing into Mac. Charlie Bears. Well, no, because they've got like another four insanely good flowers, all with lots of test oh. experience. So they've got like four flowers with more caps than Cardi Gordon and Mon Lebok. <laughs> yeah, but so I think I think Australia are the the real exception here because theirs is um, self inflicted, yeah, and <laughs> and also like the choice of having one flower. I mean Ben Ben Donaldson, if you count it as two, but even though they don't have the greatest flowers, they've gone with. Um, Cart Gordon, who admittedly he had a good super rugby and he's looked like he's been improving, but to go only with him pretty much, I mean, Donaldson's down as utility back. It's pretty crazy. I mean, I don't like Quay Cooper. I think Andrew in the last uh, podcast, we spoke about how we don't think he's the right horse to back, but like still at least have him as an option. Like don't just leave him out of the squad completely. Yeah. It's absolutely mad. It is mad. I mean, they, they have Bernard Foley now playing for Australia A. So he's clearly fit and able to play, uh, but they chose not to take him. Quaid just dropped out the equation entirely. Uh, James O'Connor has been running. He's training with the squad as the, Probably backup ten. Yeah, he's he's listed as a centre, I think, on the announcement, and he has played. Oh, it's like weird. I mean, they're just screwing around their fly halves massively. I mean, you know, if Curtly Bill wasn't a domestic abuser, then um, maybe he would have been in the picture. I don't know. But it's, even it's, someone it's, like it's really strange. Yeah. I think, I mean, it's like, I think the big difference between Lebok and Carter Gordon is at least Lebok's, you know, he's got two, he's got a bunch of seasons under his belt of top flight rugby. Um, he's played in two finals. Like, he's got a lot of game experience. It's not that much test experience. I mean, Carter Gordon's in his rookie season. Yeah. Like, he's a rookie in every single sense of the word. Um, yeah. So to go with just him and no backup is hugely ballsy and um, especially if you think is you know the most likely halfback partnership is going to be Ted McDermott who's hardly an established uh, international player either yeah it's crazy I mean I, I know I've banged on this drum for a long time but no lot of CEO has more experience than Gordon and Donaldson I can't you can't tell me that he's less value than Ben Donaldson like what has Ben Donaldson ever actually done to deserve to be in a World Cup squad for any team Never mind the one. Just a winning kick against Italy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just oh, ridiculous. As you say, I mean, Italy yeah. looking are oh, suddenly looking like they've got a top, potentially top three fly off in the competition. Like, what's going on? Yeah, yeah and, I think that's probably fair. <laughs> and, and like you said, Finn Russell's looking very settled over the last couple of weeks. Like the the match this weekend against France, that backline was uh, when they started getting when they got going, which took a while, uh, they really looked like they were um, on song, like 
they they're really in the zone mm. and they're building up quite nicely to to the obviously the first match against the Springboks. So a little bit worrying from a Springboks perspective that you know Finn Russell as a relative mavericky sort of player is looking like he's quite in the groove at the moment. Yeah, that, yeah um, I'm just trying not not to focus and imagine that. That whole Scottish team, I mean, to the, the, the first game against France where Scotland were in full strength and France were playing their, their B squad, their sort of fringe players. Um, France, uh, Scotland winning that game, I mean, was huge for Scotland. I think we discussed it and said, you know, it wasn't the French team that's going to play in the World Cup. And then and then the team that is going to play in the World Cup pitched up and they had a last gasp penalty to to win the game at the expense of Romain Intermac and Cyril Bailly, at least by for the first couple of weeks. Like, uh, Scotland, I, I don't think you can say now that's like a fluke result. Like Scotland are looking like this might be the best Scottish side that's ever been to a World Cup. And it's no longer a, a game that we can you know, sit back and expect a win. Like it's going to be hard work to beat them. They're a good, they're a good rugby side. I mean, only half of them are Scottish, but that's beside the point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's, it's definitely reduced the the walkingness of that game. Yeah. I think what made me confident still is seeing like their forwards, especially like in the sort of tight, tighter roles, um, still looking a little bit shaky. Maybe that's a bit harsh, but shaky enough that I think as long as Springboks bring their, you know, their A game up front, that's, that should still be the main difference. Um, but we'll see. Yeah. It's obviously going to be a tough one. Look, I think, you know, if the Springboks are hoping to go deep, then you've still got to be able to beat the Scottish side. I mean, they came yeah. third in the Six Nations. You know, like, realistically, that's the the Scottish team is playing well, but the Springboks should expect to beat them if they have any hopes of being a realistic contender at the World Cup. So it's not being arrogant. It's just being like, if you're hoping to win the World Cup, you've got to be able to beat the team that's you know the third team in your pool basically yeah um what what worries me guys is just in the last few international games over over a little while now the springboks have shown that we can be dominant but we haven't necessarily been rewarded on the scoreboard like we haven't converted pressure into points so we need to find a way where we can take that dominance from from that incredible pack we have like that is that is our trump card really is our is our pack uh it's it's the best pack in the world in my opinion but we're not necessarily always converting that dominance. And now with a goal kicker whose you know, kicking stats are not so uh, confidence-inspiring, uh, like I'm still a little bit worried. I, I agree we should beat Scotland, and if we want to call ourselves world champions, beating Scotland shouldn't be too much of an obstacle. But I, I'm just a little bit more worried than I was before the last two weeks. Um, although, you know, if looking back to 2019, Springboks obviously lost their first match of the tournament and went, went on to win all the others and win the whole thing. So perhaps we'll see something similar. I, I'm sure we'd all take a loss to Scotland if it meant not losing any other matches the whole tournament. So, <laughs> Yeah, look, I mean, I would, it would be funny for the narrative of um, Scotland then beating Ireland and Ireland not going out in the pools. You know, I think that's just the big difference between um, this round and... 2019 is that you know there it was the All Blacks and the next best team was Italy, uh, who were a walkover. Um, you know the next match here is is Ireland, who are very much not going to be a walkover. So yeah, it's 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 definitely going to be very interesting. 
um, to see how that first couple of the weeks pan out. Um, but yeah, before we get too deep into the Springbok stat, I just wanted to finish touching on the, the Wallaby squad, which came out last week. Obviously, hugely controversial when it came out as well for, for fairly different reasons. Um, the lack of Quade Cooper wasn't the only big omission. You've got 124 kept Michael Hooper sitting out on the bench. Um, you know, and he's carrying a slight calf niggle, but you know, then you've got guys like uncapped uh, Isaac Fonsley Wassi jumping to the squad ahead of um, Ryan Lonergan, who's been around the whole year. And you've got Vinavalu somehow still sitting on the bench um, or included around, and Tom Wright's been completely left out. Guys, what is Eddie playing at with some of these selections? It's it's a crazy looking squad. I think the, like all of those guys you mentioned uh, all add up to just having used so many players in this World Cup cycle who aren't making it into the squad, and it feels like such a a waste almost. And obviously, they change coach. Eddie Jones has only come in uh, effectively this year in terms of game time, but. Even this year, like we said with Quade Cooper, like he's played him every game and all of a sudden he's decided to drop him. So it just speaks to their, I think it's um, a, a bit of panic, to be honest. And that's kind of crazy because, you know, they've had time and they this feels like it should be more of a calculated decision. But the other bigger picture potentially then is just looking towards the future, which even then it doesn't make complete sense, even if you're looking to 2027. But um yeah, I, 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 I'm still struggling to make sense of it. Well, it doesn't doesn't make sense. I don't, I don't think you're ever going to get to the point where <laughs> that does make sense. Like, Eddie's lost the plot with that. It's ridiculous. Like, he, he's named three debutants in a World Cup squad. Like, you've had ample opportunity to play, well, maybe not Max Jorgensen. To, to be fair, he's been injured. But then why is he in the squad ahead of... Michael Hooper, who's carrying an in, a minor injury, but has 124 tests to his name, um, and was your captain until very recently. Uh, and then Blake Shipp, I mean, you know, they got a prop injury crisis, but pulling in a debut young prop, you know, if he has to play, he's in trouble. And then finds Lelewasa, like you said, it's just ridiculous so how he's in the squad. Um, it just, it, it really boggles the mind. Like, I think, and you brought up the stat that not a single one of the Wallabies locks or loose forwards in the entire squad has been to a World Cup at all. Like, yeah. absurd. That's crazy. Yeah, absolutely mad. I just when you've got guys like Pete Samu that you've just left out, you know? I mean, no. it's weird because, I mean, I suppose loose forwards are the one place where they're maybe not that weak, but like, They've gone quite light on the forwards, and you've got to imagine that someone like Keith Sami would be a good addition, um, given his ability to cover all three positions. Yeah, that Sami one is weird. It feels like there must something must have happened there, to my mind. Like it's even within this crazy squad, as we've mentioned, just not having Sami as an option. Like he, as far as I know, yeah, there's there's no good reason other than there's been like a personal some like thing that's happened between the coaches and him or something. Hey, how how are you taking Josh Kemeny ahead, <laughs> ahead of Pete Samu and Jed Holloway? Because Josh Kemeny can cover fly off, that's why. Because <laughs> he's a utility player. He can play all the positions. Yeah, he's not even a utility forward, he's just a utility player. Him and Ben Donaldson. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna play on the wing and Ben Donaldson's gonna play flank. Just watch. Yeah, yeah. I tight head prop because they've got none. I mean it's just no. so crazy. 
like last week I said, you know, I'd rather see McGrath starting ahead of Hooper going forward just because I think he's become a better player. But never in my wildest, like, <laughs> um, <laughs> dream, not dreams, that's probably the wrong way to look at it. But I, I didn't think they were just going to leave Hooper out completely. And yeah, he's got some injury issues and all of that. But just to, you know, whether it's him or Cooper or any of these guys, just to completely take them away out of the squad. Like, they've got a big squad. Like you say, they're taking guys like Kimini, not even taking a backup fly half. It's just, it's the craziest squad we've seen by some distance. Yeah, and, and, and yeah. The, the squad leadership as well. Will Skelton named captain out of the complete blue. He's never captain the one. He's captained one, one team before, one game once in his life. And I think it was like a Barbarians game and he lost. And, and now he's got a captain the Wallabies for their, their like Bolter World Cup assault under Eddie Jones. That's and, ridiculous. Probably what's even worse is he had to be asked apparently three times. He was like basically begged to take it. Which is also super strange. Yeah. Weird. Very strange. Yeah. It's like, which I can understand because he's not captaincy material in any sense that I would you know ascribe to it. Like, he's not the guy that I would think of in that team you know he's a he's a doer but he's not really a leader um you know maybe he's kind of a, a backroom kind of you know he can subtly say some quiet words that people listen to but you know, he's not going to be the guy under the poles rallying the troops you know to get them to chase down a, a gap you know no, it's, yeah. and i think he probably acknowledged that i'm sure he knows that he's not that guy yeah, and you, you've got guys, I mean, even not taking Cooper or Hooper, I mean, there's a lot of leadership potential there. But like James Slip has been co-captain of the squad for a few weeks now and, and apparently he's done a good job. I know he might have lost out his first choice position now to, to Angus Bell, but regardless, like as a squad, you've also got... squad captain, he would make a lot more sense than Will Skelton, even if he's not going to oh. captain on the day. Yeah. Also, Tate McDermott, who literally captained the last game. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and between Tate McDermott and Nick White, who've both got a lot of captaincy experience at their provincial level, like yeah. natural guys. They, they, they're nines, so they chat. You know, they're going to be vocal on the field. Um, yeah. It's you know, it's just odd. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure it was Tate that was sitting next to Eddie Jones when he was making the squad announcement, and suddenly Skelton is captain. Like, because I, I think the like the biggest role these days of a captain on the field is like that communication with the ref, and yeah. to have have Skelton with so little experience of doing that. I mean, maybe he'll be good at it first time, like just out of nowhere. But like, you would have to think that that's not his strength. That he doesn't have the experience of doing that. Like Andrew said, Slipper has a lot, and you said Tate did it last game. Like, it seems like the most bizarre choice again. Like, probably. 10th in line to what you might think the captaincy should be if you even looked at this bizarre squad. Yeah. It's it's the only thing that would have been more weird than Skelton being captain was Vinavali being captain. <laughs> and, and somehow that's not beyond the realm of possibility. Like no, reading off that list of names, if, he, if, if Eddie Jones at the end had been and Vinavali's captain, I would have been like, okay, I mean, that's just part of the cause at this point. Yeah. Like just the fact that he's in the squad, it's like it's sort of been. Um, overlooked just because of how crazy the whole squad is, but just having Bruni Valu alone in the squad. He's basically he's... 33. He's not a project player. How mm -hmm. is he there? Like, what, if your yeah, entire what... mantra is focusing on youth, why are you bringing a 33 year old proven failure at oh, rugby so union? You know, he's never done a single good thing in his two or three years that he's played across. Like, genuinely, my fantasy team will attest to it. 
The number of times <laughs> I took a punt on him and he failed my team. And like, if I just had not selected him or just not selected a player, I would have won those matches. So, I mean, maybe there's a personal vendetta here, but like, no. I mean, you saw his performance against the Springboks. He personally was allowed three tries and then Eddie subsequently never played him again. Like, and how what do you is he feel seeing as, that we're not seeing? How do you feel as someone like Tom Wright, who hasn't been great? It's like, he was actually really good in Super Rugby until the end where he fell apart, but he was good for 90% of that tournament. And then he had one bad game for Australia, one bad semi final. But how do you feel like to, you know, get your place in the squad basically by Gunivali, who, and as you said, has been more than just a waste of space this year? Where, where is Reese Hodge? Yeah. Like you're taking Ben Donaldson as your utility back, and Reese Hodge is available. I assume I assume, I assume yeah. he's not injured, but like <clears throat> he's got buckets of experience. He allows you to play that sort of lengthened forward dominated bench. He yeah. he he can cover fly half. He can be your backup fly half in the squad. He can cover full back. He can cover center. Like. Yeah, I t- this this squad makes no sense. I mean, I still think Australia will go through in their pool. I don't think think Wales and Fiji might be a bit of a battle to see who gets out of the out of the pools. I still think Australia gets out, but God's uh, they they yeah. they they're not going to get much further than that, surely. Yeah, I mean, they've got such a relatively easy pathway, which is like their only saving grace at the moment. But I would really love it if either, you know, Fiji or Georgia can get through at the expense of Australia or obviously Wales. But um, they've, to be fair to Fiji and Georgia, this is just a good opportunity as any uh, relatively struggling Wales team. Uh, Like we've said, just crazy. Australian selection plus a bad year in general like they you know they've had a poor rugby championship um they've got a couple of tough games coming up so if you're Fiji and Georgia you're sort of licking your lips and thinking you know this is a real opportunity if we don't get out of this group you know when when, (laughs) this is probably one of our best opportunities to do so yeah I'm very excited for Fiji to break Wales hearts and make the playoffs again (laughs) <laughs> well that's i think that's the first game of the group or of that group so it's a big one for both teams um bg wales so if if bg managed oh, to upset so wales then you know going you forward, mean wales managed to upset fiji because fiji <laughs> are ahead of wales on the rankings <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah but it will uh, make the group super fiji are actually going in as favorites yeah <laughs> that's, that's crazy oh, gosh. yeah yeah, no, it's it's this, this whole World Cup. I mean, obviously, it's been said for a long time that because of the draw and because of just how teams have been shaping up, it's going to be the most competitive and exciting group stages. You know, it's like I think that there is only really one group where you can come to predict the two teams that are going to qualify through it, which is obviously Pool A with France and New Zealand. Like they both will go through, but even then, we don't even know who's going to go through ahead, and you have absolutely no idea who they're playing in the quarterfinals between. Uh, the Springboks, Scotland, and Ireland. Uh, yeah. You know, all, all three of those have got a pretty more than solid chance of making it through. Uh, pool C, as you say, is a shit mess, shit storm. Um, and then even Pool B with um, Argentina, uh, England, Japan, and England. England. Yeah. 
Japan, yeah. England, like, and um, Samoa, you know, Samoa playing yeah. some pretty, pretty fire rugby at the moment in Japan or not. So, yeah. you know, so Samoa can get themselves up, get a good result against, you know, Australia, uh, Argentina or England, like, they could also be in with a shout. I mean, it's, it's really just quite an exciting tournament the way it's shaping up. Um, yeah. You know, and one can only hope that there aren't stupid sightings that allow Farrells uh, to play and give unfair advantages to the home nations. Yeah. But Samoa have also, like, they've, they in the last few weeks, they've looked really good. So, again, like Fiji and Georgia, this is a really good opportunity um, to be in a group where your team, the other stronger teams, the top seeds, are just not looking that strong, whether it's England, Argentina, or Japan. So, let's see if Samoa can pull off something. As my, I just yeah. want to share that my, my watch has just given me an alert to say that I need to relax because my stress levels are too high. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, that, that feels wholly appropriate. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, what's next on the ridiculous agenda we have? <laughs> oh, guys, it's, it's been a whirlwind. Um, um, I've kind of completely lost track. Let, let me just say while you get on track, uh, back to our original fly half um, discussion. I think Intermark is a pretty big loss despite France having backups. Like, I really like Jalibert as a fly half option, but I, I partly like him because he's the sort of ridiculously crazy, really good attacking fly half, but relatively limited in terms of his, like, you know, all round general play. Like, uh, I think Intermark is more of the cool headed you know, like make things happen, fly half. So that's why I really did, want did to see Did you mean cool-headed or cool-head? Cool-head? Because <laughs> he uh, definitely has the best hair as well. I think that's what, <laughs> what Squidge is going to be most upset about is not seeing that cough running through, yeah. the, through the fields. Yeah. Um, I don't know. My, I would have loved to have seen Carbonell because, I mean, if you think Jalibert is batshit crazy, Carbonell's even crazier. Um, <laughs> gen- genuinely, it's one of my favorite rugby moments when he pointed and laughed at the English chases before tripping a conversion over yeah i mean we still have ramos at the back and we he he's just as crazy doing like little football passes in his own like dead ball area so i'm sure there'll still be lots of fun to be had watching perhaps no no it's 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 a loss but it's you know i think they they are one of the teams that unfortunately have enough depth to manage it um, and enough experience inside and outside but then again, who knows? Maybe they'll do something mad and French and play like Luca and then DePont at 10 or something stupid. Like, that could happen. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't be upset about that. I think that would probably help most of their oppositions a fair bit. Um, yeah. Speaking, we can we can move on to the next bit of crazy, silly news. Well, maybe this is not even crazy. This is, this is probably as predictable as exciting condition of getting a, a, a ruling wrong. Is New Zealand rugby's Twitter stuffed up again? Um, tweeting over the weekend a sad Mr. Bean emoji that there wasn't any rugby on, completely forgetting they had a very strong domestic competition midway through its like league stages at the moment. Um, so quite a lot of people were quite appropriately annoyed about that. Well, uh, you just forget that you have other rugby going on. I mean, it's similar to when they just forgot about the Black Ferns um, in some of their tweets. You know, I think it was what, on, on Women's Day that they tweeted, you know, thanks to all the women involved, right? You like the mothers. And you're like, well, you do have the current world champions on your books as well. Yeah. Maybe if was, you want to mention them. That was really, really bad. And they, like you say, this is not the first time they're putting their foot in their own mouth. So, 
just another just another one from the All Blacks. <laughs> um, we went to slightly more. Well, actually, you know, let's stay on the batch of crazy stuff. Wales and England. Um, it wasn't a game worth watching by any stretches, but I think the weirdest thing to come out of that game, and it happened a little bit last week, but this week as well. Sunday morning, Dan Digger is writing a news article about his confrontation with Farrell after the high tackle, which was quite strange. Just being like, you know, Farrell needs to be told that he's not above all that. Um, obviously, this is all blown up in, in Digger's face because Farrell quite evidently is above all that. <laughs> And then the next day, you have Warren Gatland, who, after last week, writing a column saying Marcus Smith must be back to England. Uh, Gatland coming out being like, I don't know, you know, it's big in this, you know, be careful about getting too hot headed on the field. Like, he shouldn't be like having words with Farrell. And like, man, surely that's a behind the doors coaching conversation, not something to be write, written in the public newspaper. It's very, very strange. I, I, I didn't even realize Bigger also had his own column i know that gatland had his but gatland's one is just bizarre it's like like you say surely if you're going to criticize your one of your like star players most experienced players you're not going to do it in a column it just undermines like yeah the sort of team dynamics at, at minimum very very weird absurd absurd man management uh, how can you put that in the public sphere I mean, it's just makes no sense and they had like you know, he's the coach and probably the most senior player in the whole setup and uh, it just makes no sense. I mean, it was a, it was a bonkers game to begin with. Like at one stage, England were down to 12. When was the last time you yeah. saw the test match side with three Oaks sitting on the sidelines? It was a feral game. <laughs> and who was the third one? I think it was Stuart. Yeah. No, like Stuart. Stuart. yeah. yeah. Uh, it's just ridiculous. And then they only edge a Welsh team who are really not, looking hot. I mean, their, their Welsh rugby union is falling apart. All their local sides are bleeding players left, right and centre. I mean, Cardiff only have apparently 18 fit players training for the URC right now. So like I can't even... And no head coach. And no head coach. They have two backline coaches and no head coach. No, and no one centre. It's like... One centre, I believe. <laughs> and they're losing to England who like... Have three three players off the field, yeah. <laughs> It's a crazy, crazy game. Um, well, after beating England quite convincingly last week, uh, I don't know which result was worse. No, it's just ridiculous. I don't know what the hell's going on in world rugby at the moment. This week's just gone tits up. Yeah, but by, by all accounts, in terms of um, rugby spectacles, it wasn't much of a game. A lot of handling errors, a lot of dropped balls, a lot of... Uh, stop start. So I'm I mean, I relatively was, glad I didn't lost, watch it. But yeah, six lineouts, I think. Yeah, something stupid. Like it might have been more. I mean, it was just it just wasn't wasn't worth watching to be honest. Especially with with France and Scotland following it, which was a really cracking game. I mean, it was really tight. And then at the end of the first half, I think thirteen ten. Then France scored two tries in the first three minutes of the second half. I mean, in between like brushing my teeth, they scored twice. It was insane. <laughs> yeah. And then you're like, okay, well, here's France going to run away with it, just like you thought that last week. And then Scotland pulled themselves all the way back into the game. And it was, a, yeah, as Adam said, I mean, a, a ripper. Um, and, and really good from both teams, you know, to, to play some really nice, good rugby. I mean, I, I, did, I did see that if England had lost the game against Wales, they would have dropped below Wales into ninth in the world rankings. Oh, okay. I would have been great. It would it would be fantastic for for the neutrals. <laughs> well, if, uh, if Scotland had held on for the draw, then we would have gone up into third, and France would have been down to fourth yeah. as well. 
But again, and it just shows it shows the disparity between the two sides of the draw, right? You have a really exciting France Scotland match where both teams are showing off, you know, quite a considerable um, degree of talent in terms of the game, and then England Wales just being a shit show and struggling to, uh, you know, put a few put a few passes together. So it's just like fuck. This is um, yeah, you know, you know, one side of the draw is stacked and the other's not, as we've been saying the whole year. And it's yeah, but. Exactly. Sorry, uh, it's it's a little crazy, you know. If if we listen back to our podcast from five six months ago, maybe, and we talked about who who we looking at for the World Cup this year, and it was like, uh, you know, France were looking like the absolute hot favorites. How's anyone going to beat France? Ireland are like, you know, way up there. How are we going to? New Zealand are backsliding. Everything is terrible in New Zealand. Uh, like it's amazing how in the last few weeks the rugby landscape has shifted and all these sides are showing their true colors as it comes to selections and crunch performances when, when it actually matters and guys are playing for their places. Like it's it's going to be a crazy World Cup, I think. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is very exciting. <clears throat> I think we can we can probably shift on to probably the only little bits of positive news, um, at least in, off the top of my head. Um, something that I noticed that was really, really cool is that I think 10,000 fans went to go watch the Springboks fly out on Sunday night, um, no, which is just, it's brilliant support um, that I think that the team has. And the, obviously the Springbok team was announced today. Very strong side put out. I mean, arguably full strength apart from Ivan Etzebeth and, and potentially Dwayne Simulan. I mean, it's it's kind of as strong as we can get. Yeah. Um, the big comments there's Arcus Neyman starting with John Klein, which is very exciting, and Winston pairing there. Um, but by far the, the biggest news is Siakalisi starting, you know, 100 days after his horrific knee injury um, back into the test. How do you guys feel that affects our chances for the World Cup? Uh, I mean, it's fantastic to see Khaleesi back. I think we also need to just be aware, I don't think he's played rugby since April. So I yeah. think people are expecting him to come back all guns blazing and, and the old Khaleesi, you know, in top form, World Cup ready. I think we just need to let him have a couple of games to to find his feet again. I mean, he's he's an excellent leader. That's that's never suffered with his injury, but he and he, he is apparently in good physical form, but we'll see how he goes on Saturday. It's a big test for him. Um, it'll be important for his confidence. Uh, is he captaining on Saturday? Did they announce that? Um, I think he is. I think he is. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I would have understood if he was, you know, if he relinquished his captaincy duties for the game just to focus on his own play a bit. But um, I guess leadership comes naturally to him anyway. So I don't know. I guess the coaches discussed it with him and they decided to go with it. So that that is a hugely positive sign for the Springboks having him back. And Oxen Chen. Uh, who was also on a long injury layoff coming off the bench. Yeah. I'm excited to see Ox for sure. Um, one of the more interesting se selections, or two of them, I guess, that that I, I uh, thought about were the wings. So we've got Colby at 11 and Moody at 14. And mm. we haven't really... I, I don't know if Colby's ever played 11 for the Springboks. He might have, but not that I can think of. Um, you know, think obviously, once or twice, yeah. Like obviously, Very mostly really. used mostly used as a fourteen. Um, Moody given that opportunity. I don't necessarily 
think that it it cements them as first choice in like the, the first choice 11 and 14 but in terms of what they want to see and i think like we've said over the last couple of weeks having four wings in the squad with relatively different um skill sets and strengths and weaknesses like they are to some degree a little bit interchangeable so hopefully you know even if it's depending on the opposition we can really get the best out of all four of them if, if we use them correctly mm-hmm. i mean it's similar to kurt johansson he's played primarily fullback and, and right wing uh 14 for the bulls um but you know he's played probably about half his games at left wing for the springboks and obviously make a scoring that hat trick against the wallabies from the left so yeah, I think that just speaks to the versatility and you know, you want to be going to the World Cup with guys that can play on or can at least cover both sides. You know, you don't have Mopimpi being your only option down the left. Yeah, I thought I thought this one might have been a game that they give Mopimpi a chance to just keep playing himself into some form. Uh it's interesting that they've gone Colby because we know we know Colby's in form, we know what he can do. So it must be just a test of him on the left hand side, which you know, we'll we'll see what happens. Another important uh, selection was Jaden Hendrickson, having him back from injury. Yes. Well, not necessarily back from injury, but well, back from injury and his bereavement of his father passing. Uh, he's been, you know, Khaleesi has more of an established career that we can sort of bank on and his leadership potential and all of that. Jaden Hendricks has been granted a lot of faith from the Springbok coaching setup. You know, he, he hasn't played a single test match this year so he, we're not sure if he's in form uh, we know from the end of year tour and his performances in URC and that that he can play good rugby but is he playing good rugby right now what kind of condition is he in um, we're going to find out on Saturday but he's already in the squad so uh, he needs to for for himself and for the supporters have a, have a good game on Saturday I really hope he's been doing a lot of kicking practice and he's the first choice kicker on Saturday it would be interesting. I, I mean, he's got a proven record of being a really good goal kicker. I think they've got I, a little bit. It just hasn't ever really been used. Yeah. I think I'd rather see Livock kick, but obviously kick well, like kick above 80% on Saturday. Because um, Hendricks, uh, if, if he doesn't start, you want Livock to have as much practice and experience kicking as he can. So, like, if we start Hendrickson with Williams or someone who's not a kicker at scrum off, even Faf to some extent, I'd rather Livock get that sort of in. Just give him yeah, the no, status. Um, I, but I, I also saw, I think, Jacques Ninada's comments about this being where they really want to start in terms of getting the... Um, the consistency and the coherency in the match selection. So I don't know if that means that next week also it's going to be a close to full strength team against New Zealand and getting ready for that first match against Scotland, having everyone match sharp. And yeah, if 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 it is, that's super exciting. I mean, that means that they have sort of identified exactly from this point going forward, getting into the best possible condition to, you know, start the World Cup and hopefully start it with a, a strong win. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would hope that that's kind of the mindset now. You know, you go two weeks hard, one week rest, then you go, can go hard, easy, hard, hard, well, hard, easy, hard, medium. Um, and, you know, you really start building momentum going into the World Cup. But what I think is quite interesting um, is Franco Mostert being included, obviously, as a lock replacement on the bench, not a flank. Um, do you think that they've ended the experimentation with him being PSF's backup at, at seven? 
Um, not necessarily. I think Van Sarden's on the bench mostly because they're not expecting Khaleesi to get through 80. So and Van Sarden. And Dwayne, of course. But um, I think, I mean, Mustard is the cover for Locke if something happens there. But there, he's, he's so versatile and he's not the only one um, that can cover Locke. Like Peter Steff could also move into Locke. But it does point towards more, if everyone's fit, we're less likely to see Mustard as know that uh, loose forward cover yeah i mean if, if we can get away with it and you can go you know start even instead of client obviously and then you've got mustard slash uh line on the bench and then you can go two locks one lucy or, or one lucy two sorry one lock two lucy's depending on, on what your makeup is but i think mustard puts that that bridge roll between the two quite nicely you know if you've got a uh if start and that can cover or a quacker that can cover a six and an eight you've got a um, Mossad that can cover seven and lock, and then you know, Dwayne that can cover wherever or a specialist like that. But that's quite a useful space to be in, yeah. And it also means yeah. we don't have to put Mark Ori on the bench, yeah. That's that's sort of what I was wondering are, are they going to be testing out Mossad as a potential alternative five, uh, to Marvin Ori? Uh, because Ori's, Ori's done a good job, um, I think we've all. I, I had a bit of humble pie because I uh, originally was very anti Ori, but he has played very well for the box in recent recent matches. And but Frank, for a long time, Franco Mostert was the the lineout caller um, when Lert Diaco wasn't around. Uh, he's he's operated in that role for a while. And we've talked about how Achis Neyman's probably going to take on that role now, but he maybe in the last few years hasn't had that much time to to perfect that skill. So I wonder if we won't see Franco Mostert come on with 30 minutes to go and be given a good opportunity to just run the Bok line out and see how he goes as opposed to Marvin Ari. Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm hoping to see. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's exciting. I'm keen to see a, a proper build-up now. All the tinkering's been done. Yeah. So we obviously don't know if Wales are going to play a full-strength squad, but assuming they play as strong as they can. Uh, Andrew, I think you said on one of our WhatsApp groups you're expecting a big win. Are you are you still still back, uh, thinking the same? Yeah, I think I said box by 50, but I was just uh, feeling a bit excited. Um, yeah. <laughs> Has your heart rate come down yet from this, often, or from this evening stresses even? Do you watch more happy with you? I don't know. I'm still uh, putting my head in my hands and making all my nervous movements. Uh, I uh, The box should win it. It's uh, Regardless of whether Wales put a full-strength team out, um, I will say box by 20 to 25. Yeah, I think I'm in a, a similar vein of thinking. Um, definitely a box win. I always worry that Wales matches are going to just turn into a bit of a you know arm wrestle. But even if it is, I expect a Bach win, but maybe I'll just be a bit more conservative and say box by 10. Yeah, I don't know if anyone really beat Wales by that much because they kind of just drag you into the mud and you flop around. Um, so, you know, I don't I don't see the box scoring like 40 points in this game. I do. Uh, even though I think we... <laughs> Okay. Even though I think you know we are comfortably, or we should think of ourselves as comfortably the, the better side. I mean, we're you know six points, not seven points higher than them on the rankings. Um, they came 
fourth or fifth in the Six Nations. They're objectively not a particularly good side at the moment. And, you know, again, if we want to have aspirations of winning the World Cup, we should be putting away teams like Wales in their current state quite comfortably, um, especially with the team that we're putting up this weekend. So um, if we don't, if, you know, if we only end up squeezing a win, I think that's a bit of a concern. Um, but, yeah, I think maybe, maybe like a final score of 25-10 or 30-10 is probably more realistic than like a 45-20 blowout. But yeah, it was a it was a quiet weekend last week. So, but glad to have Springbok Rugby back on the TVs this weekend. Um, looking forward to reviewing it with you guys next week. I think that's that's us for the evening. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Cheers. I'm gonna go have a Xanax. <laughs> well deserved, I think. Well, maybe 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 a glass of whiskey will do. <laughs>